You're listening to the Manning Up on Real Estate Podcast with your host, Cameron Manning. We bring you the industry experts each episode who will help you man up on your real estate career. All right, welcome back everyone to another episode of the Manning Up on Real Estate Podcast. I'm glad you guys are here and we're bringing you another amazing speaker today. My speaker today has been in the real estate industry since about 2015 when she actually had a similar story to me where she entered in the real estate space as an executive assistant and she had over 15 years of experience in the hotel and hospitality management. Within her first five months, she obtained a real estate license and over the course of six and a half years, she played a leading role in building a real estate team from about two people to over 20 and about $8 million in volume to over $100 million. This guest that we have here is an absolute systems, like she knows how to run systems like you wouldn't believe. So if you're growing any sort of business and you're listening to this, whether it's real estate, any sort of entrepreneurial uh, uh, type of business, you guys are going to learn a ton from her. And not only that, she's now launched her own consulting company. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So help me welcome Amanda Dahl. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Telling you, you do that amazingly, by the way. A podcast is on my radar. And that was like, did you ever have a career in radio? You know, the, fun, the funny thing, actually, I was told when I was very, very young to quit what I was doing in real estate and go into radio. I didn't listen and I'm glad I didn't, but now I can combine both of those things. So they were spot on. That was that might be that might be one of the best I've heard. So anyway, I appreciate thank that. You. I appreciate thank that. Thank you so much well, for having me. I'm, I'm excited for you to be here. You and I have been chatting for many months now, probably since January, I believe, uh, on and off on the app Clubhouse. And as listeners, you've probably heard this me mention this app so many times. I would say it was probably a vital uh, piece of business uh, networking that you and I have had over this year alone. And I'm sure it's going to keep ramping up for 2022. But as I like to do with a lot of my podcasts, I want to get to know you on a little bit deeper scale and what led you to get into real estate. Because as of right now, I haven't met anyone who says, when I was a young child, I was going to be a realtor. So talk to me about what you were doing before. I know you were in hospitality and management. What led you to decide to go the route of real estate? Yeah, great question. So everybody wants this big, sexy story. They want this awesome. And I'm like, I just answered a Craigslist ad Uh, and you were, you were spot on. So I was in the hotel and hospitality industry for gosh, since I was 15, I had an aunt in the business and I used to work summers with her. And then when I got old enough, I was like, I'm going to start working for this company. And it was actually a management company that had the Marriott's, Hilton's, Aloft Starwoods. So it was really cool that I got to cross train between brands and I got to work up the corporate ladder And at about 23, 24 years old, I was a general manager of about a 150 room hotel. And I can tell you what toilet paper or the toilet, where the toilet paper was on what shelf and what storage room on what floor. And I was like, this cannot be my life. Right. I just felt like I was completely (laughs) capped. And unless I was going like corporate in a cubicle, I was like, ah, so I left the small town in Alabama that I was from. I moved over to Tampa, which is where I'm at now. And I was like, let me try it here. And it was the same song and dance, just bigger volume. And uh, I started looking and I'll tell you, um, I have this conversation a lot with people who are looking to grow their organizations and uh, hire talent. The ad might be one of the most important pieces that you do. Cause I was on Craigslist just looking for other opportunity. And it was the ad that captured me. And to be quite frank, I didn't even know it was real estate until about, I don't know, maybe a month and a half in after two interviews. Right. The headline, though, and what they were looking for and the skill set. And they used words like elite, you know, uh, operations talent and someone that's looking for growth and opportunity. And it just caught my attention. That so, was like, bing, bing, bing. That's me, right? 
Yeah. So I did after a four and a half month interview process. Um, yeah, I signed on the dotted line and the rest is history. I love that. And you know what I like about it too, is that everyone does think there's some big glamorous thing that like, boom, I'm going to get into real estate. And for some people, hundred percent, there totally is. But for many of us, it's just like, we're looking for something different and we're like, Hey, why not? Right. And, mm-hmm. and but the, the great thing is, and what I've loved about doing this podcast with all these amazing speakers, such as yourself, is that you all have transferable skills, right? So you were able to transfer your skills and we're going to probably dive a little deeper into that, but you started as an executive assistant, which is the exact same way I did it. You know, I'm still working with the team that I was the assistant for today, but obviously same as you in a much larger uh, capacity now, but same thing. I started as an assistant. So take me through that. What led you kind of like, so you got, you started as an assistant. What was the role like, and how did you grow within it to suddenly get your license and then help grow that team? Because 8 million to hundred million in volume, is nothing to sneeze at by any means. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So that was over the course of about six and a half years. So when I joined, uh, Jeff was uh, was the owner of the team that that I was with uh, prior to launching my own company. Um, it was actually laid out in our final interview when I signed on the dotted line that he wanted me to get licensed within my first six months so that I wasn't a liability, which makes total sense to me. You don't have to find talent that's licensed yet. Make sure that you do it because they become so much more of an asset and they're less of a liability. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I was going to get licensed, um, excuse me, yet he made it very clear. Like, I'm telling you, that guy could cast vision. Like, I mean, I still, there are a few people that can cast vision like that. So I was bought into where we were going and he knew what it was going to look like and smell like and taste like. He had no (laughs) idea how to do it though. And that's where I came in. Love operations. Um, I love breaking things. I love building things. That's just what my nature is. And so I got in um, and the year prior to me joining him, he had done a 35 transactions at about eight and a half million. Right. And so I got licensed six months in. fast forward to the end of 2015, we had closed 85 at 21 and a half mil. So we almost tripled. Yep. And so what I attribute that to is I think a little bit of not knowing any better, because I probably could have hired an additional <laughs> piece of help at the end of the year. Um But when people ask me what it was like, uh, the best way that I describe it is like running a marathon while drinking out of a fire hose and juggling at the same time. (laughs) And it was something new. It was something for me to learn. And then I had to learn all the isms in my brokerage because they Mm -hmm. have their whole lingo. Um, In that time, though, it was very it was it definitely tested these skills that I had developed in past careers um, because there was nothing documented. And like everything we were doing, I had to pull it out of his brain. How do I think like him? And then I knew, I knew that my most important job was to be the protector of his time. So it's like, how did I also create this, um, this persona, I guess is is probably the best way I would describe it because people call in and they want to talk to Jeff and people have questions. They want to hear from Jeff. And I'm like, I'm the protector of, of his time. So how do I find a way to help these individuals so that really the only people that are getting through to him are people that really need to be speaking to him for higher level things. Um, And so I had to know what I was talking about. I had to understand why he responded the way that he did. I had to read his emails. I had to do all of these things. Um, And in doing that, I was like a sponge and absorbing everything that he did. And I feel like that's really what, what caused me to grow so quickly in that first year. That's awesome. And then obviously, like you said, you're trying to pull everything out of his brain. So you're probably trying to get it down and then create that because you said you're a systems person. So you're trying to put that into basically an SOP, right? You know, systems and, and, and policies and procedures and everything like that, because that's the big thing when you're when you're growing a business is that eventually, as you're bringing more people on, you have to be able to hand them something that they can learn from because they can't be you, but they can you can follow a system, right? Is that something that you guys worked on and built? 
Oh, hundred percent. And I'm, I'm so glad that you said that. And I want to highlight that they can't be you. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of power in that statement because 100%. I think people expect that when they bring somebody on yeah. and then when they make their first mistake, like in my first 30 days, I cost him $1,600. <laughs> he went into it with the mindset though, that he knew I was going to make mistakes. He surely knew that it wasn't going to be him. And mm-hmm. as long as the, as long as the job was done or the things were done and our customers were happy, he was okay with the fact that it wasn't necessarily going to be the way that he you might do things because I was a different person. Yeah, that's exactly what we did though. We I wrote everything down and then I would go back and I would literally study the stuff and I'd be like, why did you answer this? Or, you know, when you said this, what did you mean by that? And I would literally take in as much as I possibly could so I could get it on paper so that anybody after me did not have to go, excuse me, go through what I went through. <laughs> 100%. And, you know, I feel like you and I have that same story because when I was hired as an executive assistant, it was the same thing. She was a year and a half into the business. She was having exponential growth. And we always make the joke right now with our team. We say, listen, you guys weren't here eight years ago when we had no idea what we were doing. And now we know and we have all these systems in place. And then another thing that I kind of want to jump on, and it's funny that you actually have it literally right in the back corner there on your bookshelf. You talked about the isms, right? And obviously you and I are both from, both worked at KW. We still, I still do. Um, you got the Millionaire Real Estate Agent book. And I mean, from a perspective of systems, that book is a system in a book for most realtors, right? So talk to me about business. how you incorporated that. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, it's a blueprint for any business that wants to net a million dollars because everything translates. Um, And I'm sorry, I didn't hear the question because I interrupted. I was just saying, so how did you guys incorporate that book into your systems? Because obviously when you're at uh, a brokerage like Keller Williams, you're you're definitely living by that week. They call it the red book or the Bible in some cases. Yeah. So, you know, from the mouth of Gary Keller, right, he said the book is just a guide. It is in no way, shape or form supposed to be completely duplicated and copied to the T. It is a guide to tell you where you want to go. So it was really great for things like budget models. You know, in the MREA, we talk about the four or the book talks about the four main models, right? So you have your eco model, you have your uh, lead gen model, you have your org model and you have your budget model. And so that gave us a base for the organization. So how much should we be spending in marketing as an organization? Well, Gary gave us a guide, right? And so we could choose to use that as our base and then decide where we want to go from there. Same thing with an org model. So that's how it literally gave us, um, it gave us this place to start. That's it. And then we got to pick and choose which way we wanted to go, still keeping that at the forefront of what it was we were doing. So yeah, absolutely. And so I want to kind of dive into this a little bit more with uh, the organization too, because as you start growing a business, you're growing a team, organization is going to be key and people have to have their key roles in there. So talk to me about some of the key roles that you guys brought on to help grow that, you know, two people to 20 people. Were, were they administrative? Were they marketing? Were they ISA, OSA? Like talk about what that structure looked like as you grew it out. Yeah. So Jeff technically hired me as the executive assistant, right? And so mm-hmm. what does that mean? That means that in our business and businesses are different. If you're in yeah. a different country, if you're in a different state, you could have different laws. I'll tell you, we're a title state. So when we close property, we close with a title company, New York, for example, they're an attorney state. So you also have to add another factor in of attorney, which means that there are other steps that you have to add in your system and processes. So I just want to make that very clear. So for me, the executive assistant was an umbrella and there were several hats that I wore underneath there. I was a transaction manager. I was the listings manager. I was his executive assistant. I was also doing marketing, garbage take or phone <laughs> answer, right? So there's a lot of different hats that I wore. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I remember it was probably about eight months in 
he said to me, he's like, you know, he's like, I see you and you're just like, like you work all the time. And I still don't think like things are getting done. And let me tell you, he's a, he's a D off the charts for the record. So <laughs> this may sound completely insulting and you just got to know Jeff. Yeah. And he's like, and I just think you might not be, uh, you might not be as efficient as you possibly can. And, you know, I mean, not knowing any better, I was like, he's right. So I went back and I was like, what can I do differently? And I was talking to different people. And every time he would say that to me, I would just be like, where is he getting this from? So I asked him one time, I said, where's this coming from? He's like, well, I know this agent and he's in Baltimore. He's like, and he's got an, he's got an assistant and they do 90 files and she's home every day at five. And I was like, oh man, maybe I really am <laughs> not as good as I thought I was. Little did I know they were in a state that didn't require all the stuff that we did. So right. he wasn't comparing apples and apples. So from that, I learned that I've got to know, like I've got to be able to gauge. And so what I did was I did a very tedious exercise over the course of two weeks. I wrote down everything that I did and on a college rule piece of paper. And every time I logged into that activity, I would put a tally mark and a timestamp next to it because I needed to identify where I was spending the majority of my time. Totally. I did not realize that. Yeah. I did not realize at the end of that, it was going to be the job description for the next person that I was going to bring into the organization. There we go. Now At that point I had two options, right? So I could bring someone in to assist me in all things. And yet what I decided to do was of those, of that list of things that would now become their job description. I then was like, well, I see that really the bulk of my time is being spent in listings management. Why don't I just leverage off the whole role? And Mm -hmm. so that's what I decided to do in building out the operations side of our organization. I leveraged off whole roles versus bringing in admin two, admin three, admin four to kind of take everything because it's really hard to find that personality. With listings, I know the specific skill set I'm looking for. I know the specific personality I'm looking for. And the same thing with the other roles. So as you look at the evolution of my growth in the team, every single time we brought on another piece of leverage, it was me leveraging myself out of another role until I then became the director of, of operations over all of them. Absolutely. And I think that's a brilliant way to do it because you're finding that there are commonalities in certain tasks you're doing, which then can be systemized into a person or whatever the case might be. Now, I have a question that I get asked all the time, and I feel like I know what the answer is going to be, but for the listeners, I'm really interested to hear what your answer is going to be. You're a brand new, let's say we're going to focus on being a realtor here. Obviously, that's our background. You're a brand new agent. You've been getting some great success. You're hitting that 30, 35 transactions. You're getting worn out. What is your first hire? Should you be bringing on a buyer's agent or an admin? An admin. <laughs> and why? Maybe what hire number two is. An admin, right? There we go. Talk, talk to us about why. Yeah. So such a great question. And I think so many people miss the opportunity and here's the deal. This is not a one size fits all. So you might be the anomaly. If you are listening to us talking on this podcast mm-hmm. right now and you're like, well, my business just doesn't work that way. Fine. I'm not saying it's a hundred percent this way. For the sure. majority For of sure. the time though, that's where the mistake is. And it's because people are like, Cameron, you like horses. I like horses. We should work together. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that I'm going to need you come to come join my organization. And oh, by the way, you're going to have to do your own legion and your administrative work because I really don't have the infrastructure. And I'm going to need you to do this and do that. And oh, by the way, I'm going to want to take half of your commission. Mm-hmm. And an agent looks at you and goes, uh, I could probably just do that on my own. I think I'm okay. So yep. really that boils down to, I don't have any value proposition. And yet when you get not only the infrastructure in place, yet you get the leverage that actually is a value to another agent who really would look to get into business with you. Now you've got something. 
And that's what happens. People so often just get into a relationship like that. And then it ends up badly because there really is no value in doing that. And quite honestly, had you just hired the admin so that you could get systems and processes in place, and then they could work as leverage to keep an agent in the things that actually make them money, that would be a value to someone. So that's why you do it. Absolutely. And, and I mean, there's enough research between the MREA and everything else that talks about the growth that you can get as an agent when you bring on an admin versus going straight to like other agents, right? As, as an individual agent, we'll burn out around that 30 to 35 transaction mark. And that's a lot of sales for one single person with no administrative help. And then when you bring on that admin, I think the, the number, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it goes up to like 45 transactions or something like that, or up to 60 even in some yeah. cases, right? So, you know, by bringing on an admin, what you're really doing is you're leveraging out those activities that are not dollar producing, right? And once you take out those activities that are not dollar producing, you can actually create more dollars by focusing on the things. Now, I know you know it by heart. What are the five things then that realtors should be focusing on in their business once they've hired that admin? And I, I keep picking on this because I know you and I have taken the same trainings. <laughs> lead generation, lead follow-up, going on appointments, negotiating offers, script practice, and role play. And, and at the end of the day, those are truly the things that bring in the business and create the dollars. You know, writing contracts, updating CRMs, uh, doing, you know, note cards and things like that. That's all the minutia that can be leveraged out. So once you take that out of your business, suddenly you have so much more time that you can increase your lead gen, write more contracts, do more scripting and role playing, going on more appointments. So you don't necessarily need to have that buyer's agent to free up your time, right? Well, that's the key, right? Mm -hmm. is that when you get that time back, you don't go on several vacations. You don't check out of the business. You go right back in and you double down on the things that you know make you money. Yet I think what happens oftentimes is, I mean, let's be real. The reality is buyers usually take more work than listings. So when somebody gets to that point where they're like, man, I'm feeling burnt out and I'm tired, they go, let me just hire a buyer's agent and get the buyers off my plate so I can just work with sellers. And Mm -hmm. that is the mistake. So you're spot on. 100%. And you know, it's interesting to say, I mean, as you say that buyers take a lot more work, they definitely take a lot more work in any market. But right now, (laughs) holy smokes, do they take a lot of work? I mean, unfortunately, and and, and again, this is just circumstances of the market. But unfortunately, if you're out there working with a buyer, you know, it used to be you show them five, 10 homes, write an offer on one that they really like, it probably will go through and you're done. Now it's you show them 50, 60 homes and you've written on 10 and you've lost 10. So, you know, it does take a lot more work. And I can totally understand where a lot of agents are going to get confused that they need that person to take the plate off. But again, building, and this is what I really like about what you always discuss, is you always have to make sure you're focusing on building that foundation first. And foundation comes from that systems and operations, right? So you've built the team out now, you've, you've leveraged out, you figured out how you could build out this, okay, listing department and buyer's department and everything else like that. You've brought on more agents. From there now, you have grown significantly into the point where you're now coaching. In fact, I think I heard that you were speaking at Mega Camp, which is a, which is one of our big um, uh, events that we have every year. You're now coaching people. Talk to us about how that transition took place. Yeah, so it was so the history goes um, that first year we almost tripled, then the next year we doubled, then the next year we doubled, and then after that it was like a little bit of growth, a little bit of growth through the pandemic. And then this year they went on, actually, I spoke to one of the team members yesterday and they're going to finish around 120 million, which is awesome. So I left them in August and I knew we were, we're pacing for just over a hundred. Now it's a hundred, it's about 120 million. So that's so awesome for them. Um, And so I, I think that it was probably, let's see, probably 2017. 
I, we had, we got to a point where people are like, oh, they're doing something. We want to see what they're doing. And so people are like, Hey, can I come sit in? Yeah. Can I come sit in on a team meeting? Can I do this? Can I do that? And so people caught wind. And then before you know it, if people are asking me, they're like, well, do you think you could help me with my first hire? Do you think that you could help me get through that? So I, I organically fell into the coaching piece, which I know like coaching and training is something I never thought I'd be interested in. So I organically just started helping these individuals. And then I found a real passion for it because I was right back to the stuff I love problem solving, building, fixing all of those things. And so you lose some of that in the leadership piece, right? Because, right. Because you got to be like accountability with the agents and you have to be growing and growth mindset and in the finances and all of that. So I lost some of that, that I love so much. So I jumped into that. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this as a side hustle. This is great. So I started coaching uh, people in the admin and operations world. And then I had a call with a client and we were talking. I, I honestly can't even remember what we were talking about. It had something to do with like the coaching of the agents on their team. And so she took it back to her rainmaker and she came back on our next call. And she's like, do you know that I took that back to him? And he's like, your coach is coaching you on what? My coach doesn't even talk about that. Would she consider coaching agents? And I was like, why not? I do it on my team. And so now fast forward, I actually don't coach anyone. I coach one person currently on the operations side. She's a director of operations. Everybody else I coach have been agents and and team owners and rainmakers um, because I I also do love the sales side of it. I love the, the competition. I love the numbers. I love the metrics. I love all that. So that's how I got into it. And after five years of coaching and six and a half years on the real estate team, um, I'll be honest with you, we have such an amazing relationship and left it that way. I had just leveraged myself out of a seat in the business. I finally replaced (laughs) myself as VP of operations. The next logical seat was CEO. So I did that for about 120 days. And Jeff is like, you know what? I still want to be the CEO. So it was like musical chairs and Amanda had no chair. And I was like, well, this is kind of great because this is going to push me out now to do my own thing. So that's what I did. I launched in uh, at the end of August. That's fantastic. And I mean, even just since I've gotten to know you, you know, we, we've been chatting on Clubhouse for a long time. All of a sudden, we, we've been able, as as the Clubhouse fam, as we, we say, we've been able to watch that growth too. Like all of a sudden, next thing you know, I'm like, wait, what? She's got her own consulting company? I thought she was the CEO of a large real estate team. So it's been really awesome and exciting to watch the growth of everyone around us, really. And I feel like 2021, in a lot of cases, those of us who've connected on Clubhouse, I've seen such exponential growth from what they've told me that they've done to what's happened in 2021. Is that because of the connections with Clubhouse? I don't know, but I feel like with the encouragement and the community that's been created, that's been a big part of even my growth because I'm like, hey, I've got these like amazing people that I'm surrounded with. I'm watching what they're doing. They're giving me their tips and tricks. I'm incorporating those. And I feel like, I mean, for me, I've also had a record year myself and our team's had a record year. So it's like, it's been amazing. And I think a lot of that comes from the network. So I kind of want to go down that path a little bit because that has been a big part of how we've gotten to know each other. Talk to me about what your overall thoughts are on the Clubhouse app, what it's done for you um, as we've come through 2021. We're in a pandemic. Uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with that ramification of things and we're coming hopefully on the other side of it here soon. But at the same time, what do you see also with Clubhouse going forward? So this is the part where we're supposed to get vulnerable, right? <laughs> That's it. So uh, someone in, uh, it's actually in, I'm very plugged into the Young Professionals Network of Keller Williams. And so it was one of my YP friends that was like, you got to get on this app. And she, you know, you, someone nominates you. So I got, I like I signed up in January. I didn't even plug into it until like the end of February, beginning of March. And I uh, like full transparency. I'm a single person. I don't even have a pet. I didn't even have a living plant during the pandemic. 
So when we went on lockdown, someone who doesn't have an issue with alone time and being independent got really, really lonely, which was the first time in my life I had ever experienced that. So I jump into, yeah, yeah, right. And I never knew. You ask me like bar on a Saturday night, grab a book. I'm probably more the book girl. And yet I like, I never had a problem being alone until they told me I couldn't leave my house unless it was an emergency. And I was like, wow, dose of reality. So I plug into this app and at first I'm like, this is kind of crazy. And you get all nervous because people are hearing, you know, the vulnerability of your voice and all of these things. And then you start to hear more people pouring and more people pouring. And I'm like, this is really something. And it was not, and you know, we got into the real estate space. I think we met in the real estate networking club. Yep. The reality is though, like that is a second family for me. We Mm -hmm. have cried together. We have laughed together. We have, we have literally made wins together. We've had losses together. Nothing like I ever in a million years. We've we've done, we've done album launches for people together. Like it's crazy. We just had a big uh, fundraiser together. Like it's incredible what this app can do. My gosh. So did I ever even think? No. And I'm so sad. I waited a month and a half to plug in because I'm like, who else could I have met that early on? And that's what it's done for me. Also, I'll tell you, it has given me, and I was talking about this actually last night in a room. I have uh, in my uh, career have had to get really good at listening to people, communicating with people, Mm -hmm. because a lot of what I do did was recruiting and personality stuff and all that. And, um, I've become a really great question asker. I'm also a really great listener until I joined Clubhouse. Clubhouse make makes me listen yep. like I never thought I would listen. Like you can hear in somebody's voice the sincerity or the ego, right? Oh, you can hear when something's off. And it it you don't have a face to be distracted by. You don't have a, a atmosphere to be attracted. It's just you and this voice on the other end of the phone or these voices on the other end of the phone. And um, it made me listen like I've never listened before, which has been such a gift for me. So that's what it's done for me on top of people cheering me on as I grow through this journey and giving me, you know, messages on the back end telling me you can do it or we're so proud of you. And it's been awesome. Yeah. So, you know, and I would say on top of the listening, part of listening goes into communicating. Right. And I would say, especially in people in our industry, whether you're an entrepreneur or realtor in in any sort of business, Communication is the key aspect. And I feel like in a lot of ways leading up to 2021, we lost a lot of the communication aspect because, you know, social media, it's all about the photos and like DMing and emails and text. Then suddenly we're all jumping on this app where you actually have to like, like you said, listen and listening is part of communication, right? And then being able to articulate back the answers to people and or, you know, generate more questions to get conversations going. So I feel like the communication skills that everyone who's really like dived into this app has significantly increased, which then also I think impacts their business because now you're, you're building a skill that people have started to lose for a long time, in my opinion. People grow into the conversations around them. Yeah. Something about a bold law that I hear there. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Yeah. Awesome. So where do you see, you know, Clubhouse now, you know, and actually I'm just going to do a bit of a side story here and I, you probably remember it, but one of the funniest things I remember too, is we used to like all change our profiles for a while. And I swear at one point you were leading the charge on making these like, you know, cartoons of everyone. Like all of a sudden you, you just change your photo to someone else with a photo you pulled off Instagram. And again, just, we, we created that community. We were able to laugh and have fun. And I just remember I'm like, wait a second. Amanda's got a picture of me, but that's like a car. Like I looked like a leprechaun. I think you pulled like a, 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 a St. Patty's oh, Day Patty yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, wait a second, that looks like me. And then you're like, here, I'm going to DM it to you, right? 
So it just, you know, we had a lot of fun with that. And that's where the community aspect comes into play. But talk to me about what you see going into 2022 here. You know, the app is still very, very relevant. You know, I have, I've been having this conversation with people like Justin Conico that he thinks that people are now sleeping on it. People are like, okay, I'm off the app. I'm not really doing it. What are your thoughts going into 2021, 2022 with the app now? So I, um, Justin is someone who I absolutely adore. I'm actually going to be on his podcast tomorrow. Um, there we go. Yeah. So Listener, I, listeners, I, we are working on getting him on this podcast as well. We're in talks for that too. So keep an eye. There you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I honestly 100% totally can agree with some of what he says about that too. And uh, what you'll find is I'm a little more optimistic than a lot of people. And my thoughts are this. In the beginning, there was a lot of excitement around it, and there were still a lot of places that were in lockdown. And then, it, you know, Androids couldn't get on it. Then they opened it up to Androids. Then they opened it up to the entire world. Yeah. What I have realized in the last couple of months, though, is that those of us that have been on it in our little real estate bubble, it is a blip on the radar of Clubhouse. There are millions and millions of people there. So I think if you continue to stay in that small bubble, eventually it becomes the same conversation. You might get good stuff here and there. You know, Matt LaMarche and I are someone who, we're two people who love to mastermind at a really high level. So we opened up a higher level room. After a while though, that stuff starts to get stale. So my philosophy is it is really to figure out what else is on there that I haven't even explored yet and then bring my people into it because you know how the application works. Yep. You follow people, those are like keys that unlock rooms and you start to see more stuff in your hallway. Okay. And so getting into the crypto space and getting into NFT conversations, quite honestly, I mean, there's a room on there that was like a slumber room that you could go <laughs> listen to peaceful stuff as you fell asleep. There's music. Hmm. So there's so many things on the application I haven't even explored. And I think a lot of people probably fell into that. They got into Clubhouse. They found something that they liked. They've been there for a while and they're like, eh. So I think those that are willing to really be adventurous and explore and follow people they normally wouldn't or get into rooms that they normally wouldn't have conversations, I think it can be this perpetual thing that just keeps going and going. For those that are like, you know what? I'm kind of out of it. I'm, I'm going to go back to my real world. Yeah, they're probably going to fall off. And we've seen that, right? 100%, you know totally. some people that were on the app in the beginning that we don't even see their faces anymore. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So I think it could go both ways. But, you know, it, it always goes back to it too. Like I remember, I mean, obviously... I, I've, I learned the hard way in a lot of different ways that you want to be an early adopter at the end of the day to anything that's new. And if it doesn't work out, who cares? It's just your time that you invested, right? I mean, it's not like I sunk hundreds of thousands of dollars into this app programming it. Um, but I really am a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. And he's always like, listen, you guys got to just adopt it, right? So, you know, as you started talking about TikTok, I jumped in and now there's always this like, you know, Matt LaMarche. And again, there was an episode. If you guys are listening, you guys can go back, listen to Matt and I's conversation. But uh, we, we made the joke about me dancing on TikTok, right? And I'm like, hey, I'm going to jump on trends because it's corny. It shows off my funny side. And, you know, that way it shows that I'm not all just serious sales, 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 sales. But, you know, same thing. Gary talked about how everyone says TikTok's for kids. And I'm still hearing that today. And two years in of me doing TikTok and people will still tell me, isn't that an application for kids? I'm like, get on the app and I guarantee you're going to be surprised. And then everyone's kept saying, ah, Clubhouse is a fad. It's going to it's going to die out. Okay. You, you said that about TikTok. You said that about Instagram. It's only for kids or it's only for photographers. And now everyone's running to Instagram now. So if you're listening, don't sleep on it. Just jump into something. And if, it does, if you don't like it, you don't have to do it long-term. But you never know what'll happen if you don't adopt it. And then you're running in behind everyone else, right? So. 100%. Gosh, say it one more time for the people in the back. <laughs> that is so true. And, and for the people who are listening, TikTok is actually more a 
middle to upper 30s to middle age uh, demographic than it is kids. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it it changed fast. Yes, when it was musically, it was a lot of teenage girls that were dancing to songs, but that has morphed like every social media application does. So now you see a lot of people like, hmm, I'm trying to figure out this short form video. And obviously we have connected with some amazing people that specialize in teaching short form video, you know? So it's, it's these kinds of things that you just got to go out and you guys got to go learn. Now, one thing I wanted to do is I want to bring it back to something we talked about at the very beginning. So really going back to the systems aspect. And I want to talk about what you said attracted you to change careers. And that was the hiring aspect, right? Specifically starting with that ad and then obviously progressing through. So I want to talk to you, what is your process when it comes to hiring because as we as we talk about systems it's great we put all this in place but we need the talented people to fill those roles that we've created so let's let's circle back to that now yeah so great question by the way and i think first and foremost is when we get to a certain point like let's let's style it okay so i had a thought and now i'm like let's go really back most <laughs> so of we, the people we, we can talk- go deep on this go as deep as you want So most of the people who get into real estate, like you said, they didn't have a a dream of being in real estate. The majority of the people, they found themselves not happy in what they were doing. And when you look at the demographic that gets into real estate, it's usually those that come directly from corporate. And I love when people say like, oh, I've sold before. It's like, did you sell for a big corporation that had leads funneling in or did you actually have to go out and find yourself, right? Big difference. And then it might be somebody who is now an empty nester or was a stay-at-home mom and now the kids are in school. Something like that happens. You've never really managed people before. Maybe some have. The majority haven't, though. And they've never actually had to hunt in that regard. So then they get into business and they become really successful because I don't know, they plugged into a mom's group or they had really great connections from their past career, right? And their business explodes. And then they hear all that. I need to hire an assistant. I need to get someone. And they bring someone in their world and they never ask the question, who do I need to become in order to lead people? Because I know I can't do this alone. So they hire someone and they do just like my situation. And I'm not going to knock Jeff for that. That's a majority of people. He didn't know. So when I came in, it's like, well, here you go. I hired you a coach and you've got these classes you can go to and just, you got to kind of figure it out. And that should not be the experience for people. You could lose, you could absolutely lose talent that way. Mm -hmm. So I think the most important question first is who do I need to become in order to lead people in an organization? Then secondly, it is you need to get very clear about who it is that you're looking for. Cause so often we wait until we get to this pain point, like it, like pain and pleasure. We talk about that a lot, right? So the pain is so great now that we just know we got to get somebody in quickly and excuse me, we don't feel like we have time to do all the necessary pieces. And I'll tell you, when you've made a bad hire and you really do the math and identify what the cost of a bad hire was, it will make your stomach turn. Oh, I know. We, I totally relate to that. We have definitely had, you know, growing those growing pains, like every team does and we've seen it. So guys, listen up, listen carefully. So that's it. So once you identify who do I need and actually, you know, I I feel like we're doing a huge plug for KW, which is totally not it. It's just, they have stuff that works. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll tell you two thirds of my coaching clients are actually not KW. And I tell them like, listen, I've done this and done it over again. And you show me material that's better than this. I'm happy to look at it and talk about it yet. I haven't seen anything better at this point for building a big business. And so you get uh, the Keller Williams has a tool. It's called the missing persons report. 
And that's exactly what it is. It's identifying who you need in your organization. And it gets down to the personality and the skill set and the, uh, you know, the history, the um, experience requirements, all of these things. Then when you have a clear picture of exactly what you need, it makes it a lot easier when you do run into that talent to identify that's what I need. Then from there, you build the job ad and you make your message very clear, right? Who is it that you're looking to attract? And so from that point, Keller Williams actually has a process called career visioning that I swear by. I've I've interviewed thousands of people doing this. I've done the process hundreds of times over again. And what I can tell you is every time I skipped a piece or didn't thoroughly go through a piece like I should have, I'm like, I'll find out three months, six months, nine months, a year and a half later, like, oh, I would have seen that red flag if I would have done it. So yeah, yeah. No career visioning. I mean, what one thing we've really been tying into, and it's funny, one thing that KW does say is you need to take a course many, many, many times for it to sink in, right? And again, not a plug for KW. You know, we're we're very broker agnostic here in this podcast, but obviously we just happen to have been taking a lot of training. However, when they talk about it, like it, it took uh, Kelly, who I work with six times before she really understood like how to like utilize the KPA and which is the in, in Keller Williams is the Keller personality assessment. So again, figuring out who these people are, if they're going to be a job fit match or anything like that. Um, so it, it takes a long time to build this out, but the key thing is you have to be a student of it. You have to learn it. You have to keep learning it. And sometimes things will finally click in with these different courses that, that, that are offered. And it's not just our brokerage. I'm sure other brokerages have some great practices as well. It's just that Keller Williams is really systemized and modeled this, right? So that's yeah. why we, we talk about it. Um, okay, the other thing I want to shift to. So now we, we've kind of really dived in. We figured out who that person is we want. We go through the interview process. They're, they're it according to the interview. What is your onboarding practice? Because that's also very important. You need to have a strong onboarding to be able to retain the talent. So what does that look like for you? Yeah. So my first day was, Hey, sit next to me and I got to make a couple phone calls and then just absorb everything that I I'm, I'm doing. Right. And it should never be that way. So if you've done this process properly and you've told this individual what, what the value proposition is, and you've laid out the vision form and you've gotten them all excited. Now they're at day one and it's your opportunity to deliver because you get one first impression Absolutely. and you're like, you know, they, they come in the door and you're on the phone. You're going, hold on a second. Yeah, come on in. Come on. I'm on a call. You can sit down for two seconds. I'll be right there. And they're just, it's like chaos from the start. Like that's somebody's first experience in your world. And you can never take that back. Instead, it should be something that's time blocked on your calendar and it should be an experience for them. Mm-hmm. So for us, the way that we used to do it on the real estate team, the way that I coach now is like we would from our last meeting, that final meeting from the interview process, we would schedule what your day one was. So it was on my calendar and it was dedicated time. And when you came in, I showed you the lay of the land and I introduced you to everybody in the brokerage that you needed to know. Also the people on the team, I showed you where you were going to sit. You got a swag bag. So now you feel like you're part of something. So you got a t-shirt and you got a hat and a mug and a journal and all these great things. And then you got a binder and that binder was something we were working on when I left in order to completely make virtual. Um, And we were working on a platform like a a site, a Google sites platform that was internal for us. Um, At the time though, it was very much a book intangible. This told you everything you needed to know though. And this also guided you on how you were going to go through your training. 
So right. I was your onboarding court coach. And the first day we went through all the nuanced stuff, right? Getting your account set up, making sure the applications matched on your phone, making sure you could log into stuff, right? Because we had to get you up and running. Yeah. And then I had people in the organization that leveraged other pieces. So we had a mentorship program. So if you were new to the organization, you had a mentor you were paired up with that would get you through your first few transactions. And you had a 30 day, 60 day, 90 day plan. So you had that accountability piece built in. Then you met with our department head. So you knew what they did in the organization and how they could support you the best and how you could do what you needed to do so that they could support you. Then you met our ISA department. So you knew how that, so you went through the whole thing and then you had this resource that you could go back to. Because in the beginning, I didn't do it that way. And let yeah. me tell you, Amanda was the answer for everything. And I finally <laughs> got to a point where I was like, there is an answer and Amanda is not it. You for know sure. where to go find the answer. Go start there. Yeah. So I think it's extremely important to set yourself up for that. Yet laying that, and listen, that was like a hundred million dollar team. Okay. That's when I left where we started was just giving them a training plan and some scripts and held them accountable. So wherever you're at in your organization, just start somewhere. Yeah. I will say this though, if you're going to implement that and put that in place, you cannot not have the accountability behind it. You don't give someone a plan and say, every day I'm going to check in with you to make sure you're doing it. And then you don't check in with them and a month later they're drowning and you've set them up for failure now. Totally. Totally. Not makes sense. And I mean, at the end of the day that I'm assuming there's like a 60, 90, a 30, 60, 90 kind of check in with different things they have to accomplish by then. And then obviously if you guys are in a position where you're finding that after that 90 days, I guess, I don't know if you guys use a probationary period, but you've probably got an offboarding process as well. If they're not fitting the role, you got to get them out fast because they do start costing you money. So I'm assuming you guys had something implemented like that as well. 100%. So the offboarding would, and we got to a point where we were literally operating like a small brokerage. So like once you get to a certain size, it's like whether you have, if you have an agent that leaves you, it's like, it's not costing you a lot of money because you, you're going to have the platform regardless because you have a big organization, right? Yeah. So I knew that it cost us $168 per agent on our team. So when we brought them on, we got them through the process. And then if they ever needed to offboard, I knew that it probably cost us about $168. Then the offboarding process and an exit interview, like so many people don't do this. And it is so important, regardless of who leaves your organization, do an exit interview, take that opportunity to get feedback. And I would ask questions like, what did you enjoy most about your time here? Now, if it was a really bad situation that you're having to escort someone off, it's different. <laughs> yeah, for the most part, it is something that is very amicable, right? Yeah. And so I would ask the question, what did you enjoy most about your time here? And I would love to know your feedback for how we could improve in the future. And people would tell me, I really love this and you were really great at this. And yet, if I was to do it all over again, I would really like to see more of this. And then just like we survey our clients, right? Just like we ask them for feedback. So that exit interview and the offboarding process is so unbelievably important. Absolutely. I really love everything that we've been saying. I just looked at the time and I'm like, holy smokes, this uh, this chat has gone fast, right? So I just want to wrap it up because obviously I know you are an extremely busy person too. You're really building out your coaching program and I appreciate your time so much. But there's one question that I always ask every single one of my interviewees, just because I heard it on other podcasts and I think it's brilliant because we get inspired by things and sometimes it's getting a great book. So I want to know what that one book is that really has inspired you, has led you to really change your thinking or one that's impacted you the most. What would be that one book you'd re uh, recommend someone to read? Easy. The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Ooh, interesting. I haven't, I know that book. I've read that book. Phenomenal book. Haven't heard that one yet from someone. So tell me why. 
So um, he basically breaks it down like this. There are, uh, James Carsey's was the, uh, the thought leader of this initially. And so he identified that in business, there are two games. There are the infinite, there's the infinite game and there's the finite game, or sorry, in life, there's two games, the infinite game and the finite game. The infinite game, or sorry, the finite game is known players, known rules, known objective, right? We all agree on it and we're good with it. An infinite game is known and unknown players, known and sometimes unknown rules. And the whole point of the game is to perpetuate the game. Yeah. And so often people who get into business, they play, they're playing in an infinite game. Cause what is the definition of winning in business? Just what are the rules growth. of business? Continue they're ever growth. exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately people get into business and they play by these finite rules in an mm -hmm. infinite game. And that's where they lose. So read it, listen to his Ted talks. I am a huge Simon, if you are listening, I'm your biggest <laughs> fan and I study everything that you do. He's amazing. He's start with why leaders eat last. His whole book collection is amazing. His Ted talks are amazing. That book though, completely changed my mind. He breaks it down into five keys of uh, five important key factors. And I have read that book now I'm going on three times and it has just completely changed my perspective about business and people. No, I love that book. And one of my favorite stories in the book is talking about how Kodak used to be like thinking infinitely. And then now when they changed the players, it went into a finite. And now how often do you hear people talking about Kodak cameras? Like that was one of the craziest stories I would say in the book. And sometimes when we like uh, internal joke, and I, I'm not going to say any names, but every once in a while, we see someone thinking that finite game, we're like, ah, oh, Kodak right there. <laughs> but, um, and also I was going to say, Simon Sinek, if you actually do ever listen to this, uh, hit me up. I'd love to have you on the podcast. I mean, I know it's a rare chance, but that would be awesome. Um, but no, fantastic book, guys. I highly recommend pick up a copy, listen to it on Audible or whatever you guys listen to. Um, I, I gained a lot from that book and our, our team does. We do live by that mentality too. Like I said, we do point out when people are being a Kodak on the team, right? So it's, it's kind of ingrained into us now. That's like the best tagline. Don't be a Kodak. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> take, take it and run with it. Feel free. That, that, that's yours now. Um, Amanda, I appreciate you so much. Appreciate your time. And I, this was a fantastic interview. I think people are going to gain a lot about from different systems and operations and how to really start thinking about that, like long-term growth, that infinite game, as we just said there. So thank you so much. And I wish you an absolute great week ahead. And I know 2022, you're going to absolutely kill it with your new coaching program. Appreciate you so much, my friend. Good to be with you. Thanks so much again to all the listeners as well. You guys can catch all of our other episodes if you go in and search the Manning Up on Real Estate podcast. Thank you again for listening. And thank you for making 2021 an amazing year for this podcast. We got a couple more interviews lined up and we're going to be going 2022 strong. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you guys on the next podcast.